But the battle is real. The battle is real. This morning we just saw a video that is taking place in our world, and unless you've been hiding in a cave somewhere, uh, you know that there's a war raging in Ukraine, even at this moment. And uh, this was a video that was taken um, a few weeks ago about people in Ukraine preparing for battle. And as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers of the way, we need to understand that the battle is real. The battle is real. We, we may not be facing, as his church, a physical threat, but certainly we face an enemy that is seeking to destroy us. We can either take that threat seriously and prepare for the battle, or we can be caught off guard. We can bury our head in the sand, we can be unprepared, and ultimately, we will end up defeated. The Bible tells us in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the enemy comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. We have an adversary. We have an enemy. His name is Satan. And as, as um, powerful as Russia may be, Satan makes them look like a joke. Satan is very powerful, and he's out for blood. You know, Peter, who wrote this book that we're looking at, as we wrap up the book of 1 Peter, the letter to the church we have called 1 Peter, as we, as we see the conclusion of this letter this morning, I want to kind of think back about Peter and just who he was, because it influences what he writes. Peter was a fighter. We know him as a fisherman. We know him as a blue-collar guy. We know him as a rough dude who was out on, the, on the, the Sea of Galilee, earning a living, hanging out with fishermen and all their stank. But he was a fighter, too, and we, we know that from the Gospels. Because we remember when, when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, they came to arrest Jesus. And you remember the first guy that was part of Jesus' disciples, his gang, that pulled out a sword to defend him and actually took a swing at some guy's head. His name was Peter. As a matter of fact, he might have been not the best aim because he ended up missing and he sliced off Malchus's ear. Malchus was a servant of the high priest, Caiaphas at the time. And in the middle of Peter thinking, this is a moment where I need to rise up and fight. Jesus rebuked him, and Jesus said, Peter, put away your sword. What Peter wasn't aware of at the time, and what he had needed to come to learn, was that the battle was not against flesh and blood. Our battle as believers in Jesus, our battle as the church of Jesus Christ, is not about battling flesh and blood. As tempted as we may be, to be frustrated with things that we see in our world that are led by flesh and blood, that are influenced by people of flesh and blood, the battle is much higher and deeper on a deeper level than that. It is behind the scenes. It is in the invisible realm of spiritual, spiritual powers that are led by Satan and his kingdom and the adversary of all things God. 
Peter didn't realize that at the time, but by the time he wrote this letter, he was keenly aware of where the, where the battle lie and what was the true threat to those of us in the church. And so he's writing these words as a fighter. He's writing these words understanding where the battleground was. And he wants his church to be prepared for battle because it's real and it's coming. I believe that in this closing section of of the letter, Peter gives the church three principles. Three principles to follow, to adopt into our own lives so that we will be prepared when that moment comes. And it will come. If it hasn't come into your life already, the temptations, the trials, the tribulations, it's coming. And it's only going to intensify. It was already in the church when Peter wrote this letter, and Peter knew that it was just beginning. It was on the rise. And so he wanted the church to be prepared. Is that relevant to us today? Certainly it is. When you start looking around, and you realize some of the things that are happening in our world, even here in America, that are beginning to really put pressure on God's people, we need to be prepared. Amen? Amen. So this is a super relevant section of God's word for us this morning. Let's pray before we dive in. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. Thank you for the man Peter, your disciple. God, who wrote these words under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. And they're preserved for us today. You still speak through your word today. It's as relevant today as it was then when they were penned, these words. And God, so just open up our hearts and our minds to receive the instruction that you want us to have as your church, to be prepared for the enemy, to be prepared for the battle that is ahead of us, or that maybe we're walking through right now. God, I ask that you might work in and through us, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Number one, first principle. Stay committed to fight in faith. Stay committed to fight in faith. Listen to what Peter writes, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be serious, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. I can't think of a more serious way for Peter to say it than to say, Guys, you need to wake up. Ladies, you need to watch out because there is a real enemy and he is ferocious and he's coming after you. Are you prepared for the fight? This is the third time in this letter alone that Peter warns the church about being serious and about being alert. You can read the other two in in chapter 1, verse 13, and chapter 4, verse 7. But here we are in chapter 5, verse 8, and once again he reiterates this mantra of be serious, be on alert, be vigilant, be watching out. Don't be caught off guard. Don't be caught blind to the fact that the enemy is coming at you, and he's coming at you with temptation, he's coming at you. With trial, 
He's coming at you with, with lies and deception. He's coming at you, and he's coming to kill, steal, and destroy your life. And we need to take that serious. And we need to be prepared for the fight. Paul also writes the church about the responsibility to stay alert. Listen to these words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5 through 8. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then we must not sleep like the rest, but we must stay awake and be serious. Since we belong to the day, we must be serious and put the armor of faith and love on our chests and put the helmet of the hope of salvation. What do soldiers do when they're going into battle? They get fully equipped. They get fully equipped. They don't go into battle without their armor. They don't go into battle without the right weapon, without the right defenses, and without the right team. God has given us each of those things that we need to take with us into the battle. Amen? And that's what Peter wants us to understand. But it all starts with an attitude of our heart. Do we believe the battle's real? Do we believe that in every situation, Satan wants to trip us up? And are we watching for that? Are we on our guard? Are we prepared for the things that are going to come into our daily life that want to trip us up in our faith and in our obedience to God and his will for our life? Because it's there, no matter how cush your life may be or how difficult your life may be. Those trials, those temptations will come. And we need to be prepared. As a serpent, Satan deceives. You remember in the garden? But as a lion, Satan devours. He destroys. The word Satan means adversary. He's our enemy. He's, our, he's the guy that's coming against us. He's not for us. He's against us. The word devil means accuser or slanderer. He's always calling out, hey, you don't deserve to be in God's family. Look at you. He's always pointing out our flaws. He's always making us second guess our faith in whether God can truly be the one that he's promised to be in our lives. He's always trying to undermine our foundation. That's his role. Why? Because he hates God. He wanted to be God himself. And there's been a spiritual battle raging ever since that day. He wants nothing more than to destroy the apple of God's eye. And that's mankind. For God so loved the world. We are loved by God. Satan does not like the things that God loves. And he's after us to destroy us, to kill us, and to really mess with our lives. You know, as a pastor, I have the privilege or the responsibility to counsel people from time to time. And when I hear some of the things that's going on in their lives, it, it just, it saddens me. It breaks my heart because there's a trail of destruction that the enemy has wrought. And now they find themselves maybe at, at a point of 
of wanting divorce or a point of wanting to give up on life. And they're reaching out for a lifeline. And that's good that they're even doing that. Because many people fall and they don't have anybody there to pick them up. But it's devastating to see what Satan is trying to do to us. And many times I think about, how did they get there? And they got into that place of vulnerability because they weren't taking their life with God seriously. They weren't on alert for the enemy. They had grown complacent in their life. They had grown comfortable in their sin. And then they found themselves on the brink of destruction. Let's not be that. Let's not find ourselves in those places. We have an opportunity to respond to God's word and God's warning this morning to get ready for the battle, to be prepared for the enemy when he comes. You know, recently, um, my wife and my two youngest, Drew and Jenna, and myself, we got to go down to San Diego on a, on a little field trip, family vacation, whatever you want to call it. And we got to visit the San Diego Zoo Wild Animal Park. Has anybody else been there? Oh, we see some hands. You guys are privileged because it is awesome. It's better than the zoo. For FYI, go to that one instead of the zoo. You can go to the zoo too, but this one's better. Because you see, they've created this natural habitat for these amazing animals, God's creation, to be able to, to kind of live in their, in their semi-natural habitat. And while we were there, one of the things that really struck me is they had a lion exhibit. There's not too many lion exhibits out there, but this one was pretty neat. And so we spent some time there, and most of the time, I'm talking like 20 hours a day, lions just sleep. They're a really boring animal to visit at the zoo. Because for the most part, you walk by, a couple times we walked by, and sure enough, they were just snoozing. But we just so happened to be walking by when, when the male lion was up and, and, and roaming about. And I caught this video. Take a look. Now that view right there, he's looking dead at me. 
All right, and there's only a little bit of grass there and a little bit of a trench and then this real low wall between me and him. And at that moment, I got really scared that he was like, okay, I roared, now I'm hungry, right? But I'll tell you the truth, that roar, when you heard it live and in person, it put the fear of God in you. Because I realized in that moment that that guy, if he wanted to, could just destroy me. He could just eat me alive. And there was nowhere to run and hide. The only thing, thank God, they built this trench that supposedly keeps them from being able to get to the people. But I didn't feel too safe when I was next to that lion. Now this is the picture of what Peter writes. That our enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. What do we need to do with a lion? I believe that Peter gives us some some clear things that we need to do when we're approaching the roaring lion in our lives. Number one, we're to respect him. Respect him. That sounds weird, right? We're to respect Satan. We're to have a healthy respect for our enemy. Some people make light of Satan. They play games and think that Satan's nothing. Well, that's a big mistake because Satan is one of the most powerful beings that God ever created. The Bible describes him as majestic, number one in command of all the hosts of the angels in heaven. He's a very vicious and formidable foe. We need to respect him because he's dangerous. You know, when I was working on my house, my previous house on Cypress Avenue, we were remodeling and uh, kind of like adding an addition to the home, and we were moving from a two-bedroom, one-bath to a three-bedroom, two-bath, because God just kept blessing us with kids. So as we were building this place, we had a 100-amp electrical panel. Anybody know what a 100-amp panel is? A few of us. We had to upgrade to a 200-amp panel, or else we couldn't have electrical outlets in our new addition, because we were out of amperage to support the outlets. And so I remember um, hiring an electrician friend of mine at the time, and he had to install this new panel, this electrical panel, and you've seen the big, thick wire. I forget what they called it. It was some crazy, weird number of wire, but it was so thick coming down from the line to where it comes down into the house and into the panel and provides you electricity. Well, this guy started working on the thing without calling smut. He just started, like, changing out a whole panel while it was live. And I went and I asked him, I said, how in the world, you're crazy. Like, what are you doing? Like, you haven't turned off the power? And he just kind of laughed and he said, no. Like, obviously I've been doing it for like 30 years and I know what I'm doing. But the first thing you need to do with, with electricity and with the amount of power that's coming online is you have to have a healthy respect for it. And when you have a healthy respect for it, then you can handle it. And that really always spoke to me that like he understood the power that existed in the job that he was performing. He knew the dangers. But he also, because he had a healthy respect for it, he knew that he could handle it with the right training and with the right craziness that he brought to the table. 
You know, that's the same thing we need to do with Satan. We need to have a healthy respect for the power that he brings to deceive in our lives. You know, his deceptions, they're real. His temptation that he brings is real. And he knows, he observes our life, he knows where we're vulnerable. The Bible says, don't give the devil a foothold. He sees our vulnerabilities. He's very smart, and he wants to come in, and he wants to get you right where he knows he can get you. We have to have a healthy respect for our adversary. Satan's a dangerous enemy. He is a serpent who can bite us when we least expect it. He is a destroyer and an accuser. Number two, we need to recognize him. Not only do we need to respect him and his power, we need to recognize him because he's the great deceiver. The Bible says that he, he masquerades around as an angel of light. He pretends to be the things that he's not. And sometimes we're gullible and we fall for it. You know, shouldn't this apple looks good? Shouldn't you just eat it? I mean, come on, look at how good this thing is. Did God really say And he brings temptations into our lives in ways that seem good if we're not careful to recognize who he is and what his agenda is in our life. If you ever think that a temptation to do something against God is the right way to live your life, you don't understand who's bringing that temptation and what his agenda is in your life. You haven't recognized the enemy for who he is. He's the great pretender. We need to be vigilant. We need to be on guard, as Peter instructs us here. And finally, we need to resist him. We need to resist him. He's a defeated foe. Jesus crushed the head of the serpent on the cross. Satan is not the victor. Satan is on his way down. But we still need to resist him. The Bible calls us, the people of God, to resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Why does he flee from little old us? Because as we resist him, we resist him in the name of Jesus Christ. And we resist him with the word of God. And he can't handle that because he has been defeated by that. Look at verse 9 in 1 Peter. As he concludes here, he writes these words. Resist him, that roaring lion, that enemy, that adversary, that devil, Resist him and be firm in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Do you realize that the temptations that Satan brings into your life, the trials, the tribulations that Satan brings into your life, it's not unique. You're not all alone in that experience. It's happening to all the believers around the world. One thing Satan is, is he's like a one-trick pony. He keeps doing the same thing over and over again. Why? Because it seems to work. Why change my MO? He keeps bringing temptations to doubt God's word, to doubt God as being the one that you should live for and follow and be obedient to. And he brings trials to try and rock your faith. Say, God doesn't really want to protect you and give you the life, the abundant life that he has promised. So you should walk away. He's not worth it. He keeps bringing temptations. He keeps bringing trials. Same MO. We need to resist him. 
he's defeated. You know, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes about the armor of God. He writes about the fact that we need to be well equipped. How many are familiar with those verses in chapter 6 of Ephesians? If you're not, mark that in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about coming in with the helmet of salvation. What is that? That means that if we don't have Jesus as our Savior, we're vulnerable. We're already in trouble. But if we put on the helmet of salvation, we recognize who our Savior is and who our Lord is, and we bow our knee to him every moment of every day, we are well protected from the enemy. It talks about putting on the breastplate of righteousness, not our own righteousness, not our own good works, no, the righteousness of Christ that's been imputed into our account because of the cross and because of our faith in what Jesus has done. That righteousness keeps us from the flaming enemies or flaming arrows of the enemy. It keeps us safe from the accusations. You're a mess. Guess what? I'm not a mess. Jesus cleaned up my mess. Guess what? You can't accuse me anymore of the past. Every time the devil tries to remind you of your past, remind him of his future. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? There's nothing he can accuse you of. There's no guilt that's left uncovered. Jesus has set us free. And we need to live as free men and women. We have to have the belt of truth. He comes at us with lies. He comes at us with deceptions. Do you know the truth? And are you standing on it? And we have to have shoes of peace. We're not called to be wielding the sword. We're not called to be blowing people up. Now there's times where, you know, we're called by our nation to join in battle. There's nothing wrong with that as you're called to a soldier for a nation. But as Christians, our fight is not on that level. We're to carry shoes of peace, and, and, and peace comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even on a battlefield, you can share the gospel. As a matter of fact, you might want to drop a track in, uh, behind enemy lines before you go take their life because they're going to stand before God. So the reality is that we have to be well-equipped. We have to have the shield of faith. Faith is really what keeps it all away from getting near our, our heart and affecting our life. We say, I trust God, and I'm not going to listen to you, devil. And then the sword of the Spirit, that's our offensive weapon. Every time Jesus was tempted, do you know what he did? He quoted Scripture. Because that's the sword of the Spirit. That's the thing that wields off the enemy. He can't penetrate when we know and we obey God's truth. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 to stand, to withstand, so that we can stand. Three times those are mentioned. God has provided us what we need in Christ Jesus to be successful when the enemy attacks. Both Peter and James gives us the same formula for success. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Step one, submit to God. Resist the devil. Step two, you've got to fight off the devil and all his attacks and his temptations, and he will flee from you. That's James chapter 4, verse 7. Before we can stand before our adversary, Satan, we must bow our knee before the Lord. Amen? Amen. 
We can't stand on our own strength. We can't stand on our own merit. We stand up to the enemy because we first have bowed our knee and we're following our Savior. Number two, stay committed to the fight in faith. And number two, stay confident in your glorious hope. At the beginning of his letter, Peter wrote about this glorious hope. And here as we conclude, he comes back to it. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen? We're getting close. You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have had to struggle in various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may result in the praise, the glory, and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter writes these words as he opens up the chapter, and then he writes these words in verse 10 of chapter 5 as he closes and concludes his letter. Now the grace, now the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will personally, literally, will himself, Jesus himself will do this. What will he do? He'll restore, he'll establish, he'll strengthen, and he will support you after you have suffered a little. The Bible doesn't make it clear whether it's a little while or to a small or little extent. But suffering is going to come. We all endure it. Suffering is a part of living in a sinful world. But it's temporary. Amen? And there's one who's going to restore, establish, strengthen, and support us through it all. The dominion belongs to him forever. Amen. This is the way Peter concludes his instruction to the church. He wants us to stay committed to fight in faith. And he wants us to stay confident in our glorious hope. We're to be hopeful through affliction, patient in suffering, we're to be firmly fixed and supported by our Savior. Satan may be a roaring lion, but we have the Lion of Judah on our side. And he will devour all his enemies. Amen? Amen. Number three, the third principle that we need to live by is, is this. We're not only to stay committed to the fight in faith, we're to stay confident in our hope, our glorious hope, that we would be revealed in the last day, but we are to stay connected to the community of love. Stay community, or stay connected to the community of love. Do you realize how lions hunt? They look for vulnerable, isolated, wounded prey. They're not stupid. They don't want to exhaust their energy for nothing. They go after the prey that is most vulnerable. Where do they find the vulnerable prey? Isolated from the rest of the herd. That's how they hunt. 
That's how they're victorious over the, over the prey and over the victim of the hunt. God wants to warn us to not be isolated, to not be left vulnerable on our own. He's given us a community, a family to be a part of and to be committed to, and there is strength in numbers. Amen? And this community that he's called us to is to be a community of what? Of love. We're to love one another. Over 50 times in the New Testament, it tells us to love one another. We're to be a community of love. And when we're loving each other the way that we should, we're looking out for each other. We're involved in one another's lives. That's why it's important to go beyond attending church on Sunday morning and be a part of a ministry group, like the worship team, like the children's ministry classes, or an e-group. Because you get to be known and you get to know others on a more intimate level. If you're not a part of a smaller group of believers that you can get to know, pray with, be supported by, that's your next step. Don't be found isolated, unknown among the community of believers. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he wants you to know that you're a part of his family. You're adopted into his kingdom. And there's lots of local churches. And as long as they teach the word of God and the truth of who Jesus is and what he came to do, they're a good church. You need to be a part of one. And by, by being a part of one, I mean that you need to be involved in a more deep level in the church. That's what Peter wants to communicate to us. Peter was the leader, one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And as he concludes his letter, he brings out a few people that he wants to, to thank and, and remind the people of the church that are receiving this letter, hey, remember, we're all part of a community. And I want you to remember that. Listen, I have written you this brief letter through Silvanus. Now, I'm going to give you a brief thing on Silvanus. Silvanus is the Latin name for the Greek name of the person named Silas. Maybe you've heard of Paul and Silas. They went on a missionary trip together, right? After John Mark was rejected because he was a quitter, and Paul didn't like quitters, and there was this whole dispute, and Barnabas went with John Mark, and they went off on their own missionary journey, and Paul chose a man named Silas. Silas is this man named Silvanus. Now, who was he? He was a Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen. That helped. He led the church in Jerusalem with Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. It was kind of like a three-man team in Jerusalem, in the church. There was Peter. We know Peter. He wrote this letter. There was um, a man named James, the brother of Jesus. Imagine being Jesus' brother. Remember WWJD, what would James do? No, that would, what would Jesus do, right? And then there was the third man, Silas, who was a part of this leadership triumvirate. After the council in Jerusalem, you can read about the council in Jerusalem in Acts 15, they were trying to decide, what do we do with all these Gentiles who have placed their faith in the Messiah? who have chosen to, to receive Jesus as their Savior. What do we do with these non-Jews? Silvanus, or Silas, was among those chosen to accompany Paul up to Antioch, where there was a lot of Gentiles in the church. And they were to deliver the news of the council. 
that they were to be accepted as well. They didn't need to be circumcised. They didn't need to follow all the Jewish customs and rules. Because trusting Jesus as Messiah was good enough. And that was the decision that they reached through the Holy Spirit. From there, Silas was chosen to go with Paul on his second missionary journey. He was credited in, the, in many New Testament books, including this one, with either helping to write or deliver letters to the church. That's who Silas was. And Paul wants the, I mean, Peter wants the church to know, I have written you this brief letter through Silvanus. He was assisting Peter in writing the letter. This very letter that we just have studied and read and has been preserved for us in the New Testament. Then he goes on to say this, I know him to be a faithful brother, to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Take your stand in the grace of God. Amen? Amen. The church in Babylon, Babylon was another name in that day for Rome because they considered the Roman Empire part of the whole Babylonian experience that they had, had experienced since the fall of Jerusalem. There had always been a nation that had overseen their independence as a Jewish nation from that day forward. They had never been independent. And they considered it like Babylon is still ruling and reigning our land and its headquarters is in Rome. And so when he says these words, the church in Babylon, he's probably talking about the church in Rome. He's likely writing from that place right now, from Rome, because he had been arrested. He had been delivered unto the Roman emperors because he was another one of those troublemaker followers of Jesus. And he's enduring persecution, and Silas is right there with him, helping him write this letter to the church. Also chosen, the church in Babylon, the, the church in Rome, also chosen, sends your, you greetings, as does Mark. There's another man there. His name is Mark. Who is Mark? Mark, also known as John Mark. He was Barnabas' cousin. He was likely serving as Peter's interpreter in Rome. Remember, Peter didn't speak that language. He was a fisherman. He hadn't been educated in languages. He spoke just the basic Greek that was spoken, the Hellenistic Greek that was spoken, and he spoke Hebrew because he was a Jew. But in Rome, there was another language, Latin, and he needed an interpreter. And so there was this man, John Mark, with him who helped him when this letter and possibly the Gospel of Mark was written. Mark, credited with the second writing of the New Testament, was likely writing down the words of Peter's experience. And it probably happened around this time. His mother, Mary, that's John Mark's mother, Mary, owned a house in Jerusalem where the early disciples met for prayer. You may remember Peter was in prison early on and was miraculously freed through the prayers of the church. And he shows up to this house, and they can't believe it. He knocks on the door, you remember? This was John Mark's house, his mom's house, Mary. It is also tradition that this house likely served as the upper room that Jesus held his last meal, the last Passover meal with his disciples. It was John's mom's house, was likely the place. Mark later accompanied Paul on his first missionary journey, but he abandoned the trip for personal reasons, and that upset Paul, who then chose Silas for his further journeys. 
Philemon, one of Paul's later letters, mentions that Mark is with him again in Rome, suggesting that their relationship was reconciled before Paul's death. John Mark was a faithful man of God. So he writes this as also chosen Mark, my son, greet one another with a kiss of love, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Why do I share all this? I share this because there was a community of brothers. There was a community of brothers and sisters, and they were known as the church. And Peter wants the church to know it's important to be in community. He probably wouldn't have been able to do what he was doing in writing that letter without men around him, supporting him, encouraging him, helping him with things that he was weak in. Do you realize you have weaknesses? I have weaknesses. I need you, you need me, we need one another. Amen? That's what God wants for our lives. As we, as we close this morning, let us be challenged, both challenged and encouraged to be prepared for the battle. When we leave these doors, even before we leave these doors, the battle begins. Will we be prepared for the battle? In just a moment, the worship team is going to come forward. And we're going to give an opportunity for the prayer team. I'm going to ask you guys to rise right now and take your places. The, the prayer team ministers on this side and on this side. And they're going to be available during the worship time that we're about to experience. And if you need prayer, you feel like, man, I've been in a battle. And I haven't been prepared. And I'm, I'm in a mess. And I really need God to deliver me. I need prayer. I need, I need community. This is an opportunity. They, they love to pray for you and with you to encourage you through prayer. Take this moment, this time of response, to take advantage of men and women who want to pray with you. Also, we're going to remember our Savior, Jesus Christ, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed, so that we could have victory in the battle of life. And we're going to remember that in this time of response. So I'm going to ask if the worship team will come. And we're going to spend some time just singing praises to our God and remembering who he is. He is the victorious king, the lion of Judah, who has defeated the enemy, Satan, the roaring lion, and has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us worship him. Let us worship him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the, your word. I thank you for this this opportunity to really dive in and see the book of 1 Peter, to see how relevant it is to our lives today. God, we face a battle, and it's not against flesh and blood. It's against the, the rulers and the spiritual enemies of your son, Jesus. And God, we don't want to be tripped up. We don't want to be deceived. We don't want to fail and be destroyed. God, we want to be men and women who are prepared, who are sober-minded, who are serious about walking in faith, and who are watching out for that enemy at every turn. And we want to be in a community where we're supporting each other. God, help us to be your people for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.